This paid podcast was produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Spotify Studios. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by Ball and the Family, an all-new show only on Facebook Watch. Head to Facebook.com slash Ball and the Family to catch up and watch new episodes every Sunday. I made this playlist that was like 700 tracks long called like Baby Maybes. I'm the kind of like music geek who like every time I would hear a song I think oh this would be great to use in something and then eventually they started becoming Baby Driver songs. From Spotify Studios this is Showstopper the podcast that takes you inside the soundtrack of your favorite TV shows and films. I'm Xavier Jernigan head of shows and editorial for North America at Spotify. Today we're talking about Baby Driver, and my guest is the writer and director, Edgar Wright. He's best known for smart comedies like Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And in Baby Driver, as in all his movies, Wright kicks the soundtrack into high gear. The story follows the most talented teenage getaway driver of all time, and music is his secret weapon for timing the perfect escape. Baby Driver opens with a bank heist, and the first thing we hear is a pulsing guitar riff. It's Bell Bottoms by the John Spencer Blues Explosion. It was a scene Edgar imagined for years. To talk about that song is to talk about the inception of the idea right from the start, because when I was 21, 1995, I listened to that song Bell Bottoms over and over and over again. When I listened to the song, I couldn't not think about this car chase I just sort of had this image of this car chase and eventually that became the idea of well maybe the the song is playing in the car and then it's like well what if this getaway driver times out his heists to music and then it was like well what if this getaway driver can't exist without music playing it's not just a pleasurable thing uh, not just an escape but it's a necessity like he can't function yeah, he can't function without it playing. I mean, I have that sometimes where... I have it for sure. Yeah, I need the right music for the right vibe. And if I'm trying to do something and it's the wrong vibe of music, the music has to change. Yeah, so what was it about the song that made you think about a heist and what does that song mean for Baby? Well, a lot of the songs that are in the movie have a dramatic structure. And so something with Bell Bottoms, you have like two and a half minutes of build-up before it really kicks off. And just in my head, immediately made me think of like, oh, car chase, getaway driver, first half sitting outside a bank, second half chase. For me, that's kind of like what it meant on tempo and speed of the song, length of the song. And I guess for Baby, probably the same thing is that he's magically picking the sort of like the, the perfect playlist for anything that he's doing. Let's talk about Neat, Neat, Neat by The Damned. What takes your mind into the place of when it sounds like a high song to you? You know, I always liked this song. I'd never heard it in a movie, but I thought, oh, that's a great action song. It also has a really great bass intro where there's a sort of like low bass intro and then the kind of everything else kicks in. So it's sort of perfect for somebody talking, somebody talking, somebody talking and go. If you're trying to sort of choreograph your life, you might be sitting in your car and you might be playing The Damned and then you wait until the drums kick in and then, like, get out of the car. So that's kind of what Baby's got in his head. But then Jamie Foxx and Flea and everybody start arguing and they screw up the timing of it. So he says, wait, 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 
I gotta start it over because he wants it to be perfect and then they get out perfectly I designed the whole scene to the song and originally in the script it was going to be that scene was just the damned and that was it then when we were designing the car chase first I do like storyboards and then I cut the storyboards to the music but um, I remember Bill Pope, who is my cinematographer, he watched the animatic that we'd done. This was all the storyboards cut to the song. And he says, there's not enough song for this action. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you've cut it very fast. And he goes, and these stunts are going to take more time to actually resolve in actuality. And you're going to run out of song. And I was like, mm, OK. And of course, Bill was totally right. So then I was left with a conundrum, and we'd already shot most of the scene. And then I thought, oh, they have to get out of one car, and then they carjack another car. And so on the last day of the shoot, I shot an extra shot of Ansel rewinding his iPod so that, like, Baby, the character, is rewinding the damned to the last verse and last chorus and then pressing play. So I basically got another extra, like, 45 seconds out of the damned song. Genius. But it also what's cool about that is it's exactly what Baby would have done in that situation because he had timed out the heist to that song. Like, they go in, they rob the bank, they get back in, we drive off, we get on the freeway, we get off. He had timed the whole thing to the damned. But what he wasn't counting on was a member of the public ramming their car. Right. Like, being shot at by the security right. guards. So that's like a great example of like a happy accident, you know, which ends up typifying that character. It's exactly what Baby would do. So it's kind of one of his key character moments, and yet it's not in the script. It was like an accident. Can you tell us about how you choreograph these scenes? Do you have music playing out loud? You know, all the songs are selected before, obviously. In fact, all the songs were like written into the script. So basically, like on the set, in terms of playing the music back, we would use every different method of doing it. Sometimes if there was no dialogue in the scene, you might just play the song out loud and everybody is choreographing to the song. So not dissimilar to doing a music video where you have like a click track where it's like beep, 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 and then you come into the bit you're doing. Sometimes if you had to record dialogue, then the actors are wearing these things called earwigs, which are little transistors that go in the ear so the actors can hear the music but nobody else in the scene can hear it. How challenging was it for them to remember their lines, say it to these different cues and the music that's playing in their ear? I think they, everybody who was doing it, they're all like musically minded and a lot of them have done choreography before. So I want to say that it wasn't that difficult. In the Barry White scene, you know, that's a good example of something where like the lines are in between the kind of lyrics. At this point in the movie, Baby and his girl Deborah are ready to skip town. They plan to run off and start new lives together, but there is a hitch. Buddy, played by John Hamm, he won't let them go without a fight. The soundtrack for the scene is Never Never Gonna Give You Up by Barry White. Why use a love song here? Well, I always love that song. I'm a big fan of Barry White, especially the early stuff. I love the production on those songs. Yeah. And he's like an amazing arranger and the thing that's interesting about that song particularly is that it has this intro which is quite sinister the intro sounds like it's from a black exploitation soundtrack or dirty harry or something yeah. and then it kicks into this kind of like love song and because it's about baby going to get deborah and like take her away with him but then buddy intervenes 
and it becomes something else. John Hamm's first line once it kind of kicks over into the song says, Hey, lovebirds, if you just had Baby and Deborah, it's a love song. But once Buddy comes into the mix, the lyrics take on a different connotation. Yeah. So once he gets into the chorus, and the chorus is never, never going to give you up, I'm never, never going to stop. One of my favorites in the movie is John Hamm lip syncing along with, I'm never, never going to quit because quitting ain't my shtick. You know, it was like taking a love song and making it sound more obsessive and sinister. And also just blasting that song at full volume is like never not fun. That's that's a song in the movie I always look forward to listening to. We're going to take a quick break. Calling all snack connoisseurs. This sponsorship is for you. If you're an artisanal meat and cheese lover, look no further than Hillshire Snacking Small Plates. Take your favorite bites on the go. Prosciutto and cheddar cheese, spiced salami and gouda cheese. You get the picture. Hillshire Snacking Small Plates, a snack above. Find your perfect pairing at hillshiresnacking.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Showstopper. Are song choices different for Baby and for you if he's in the car or out of the car? You know, a lot of the songs that when he's off the clock, so to speak, are a bit more happier, you know, like sort of Harlem Shuffle, Smokey Joe's La La by Googie Rene. Also, then he gets inspired by people, like sort of him meeting Deborah inspires him to listen to Deborah by Beck. So the songs that he drives to or with the action scenes are sort of like chosen for their sort of like energy and intensity. And then some of the other, like, songs that he listens to are just purely, like, joyous experiences, you know? What's the story with Easy? We hear it a couple of times in the movie. Well, uh, the interesting thing about that particular song is that that one was not in the original script. But what happened was is that when I was auditioning actors for Baby, Ansel was one of the first people that I met. And we were going to do some choreography stuff with um, our amazing choreographer, Ryan Heffington. So we were going to spend an afternoon with Ansel, like, doing some rough choreography for some of the songs. And then Ryan Heffington said, why don't you ask him what song he knows off by heart? So we didn't let him prep it. We sprang it on him. It's not like you call his agent and say, tell him to bring a song to lip sync. We didn't. But he was there, and I said to him, I said, what song could you lip sync off by heart? And he said, easy by the Commodores. And I was like, whoa, because this is like a 20-year-old kid. So like sort of, you know, talking about a song from the late 70s. So I was quite impressed by that, number one. And then he proceeded to impress me even more by the fact that he he wasn't kidding around. He really could, like, lip-sync the whole thing. So I gave him this scenario. I sort of said, um, okay, imagine, you know, a crime has just happened. You're hiding from the police. But on the on the earphones, easy starts, and you can't help but sing along to it. So Ansel basically like improv that. It was such a great audition. I think at that moment, as he was doing it, I was thinking, okay, this is the guy. This is the guy I should play, baby. Now later, I did some work to the script actually after he was cast, and one of them was I wanted to find an even stronger sort of emotional connection between him and his dead mother, like in the movie. So this idea came about as like, what if his mother was a singer? And what if the one tape that he had was her? And then so I put the two things together where I had this idea of, A, 
the um, junkyard scene after like so you see the car get trashed with a dead body in it baby puts a song on to sort of blast out the black clouds and stuff like almost like a security blanket sort of happy song so I thought okay we should put easy in there then I thought you know we got Sky Ferrara's gonna play the mum I had the idea that he plays his mother's song so you hear that song twice once in the original and once in the cover and the other thing that's interesting with that is Sky Ferrara like takes that song which is a really happy sunny vibe and makes it into something sort of moodier and more emotional so to have that as the bittersweet kind of like second from last scene we thought was really interesting so how does baby the character find all this music he has taste that the average 20 year old would most likely not have well it's funny i mean there's two things to that is that on one hand i think you find people listening to songs without any context of the artist or the time or even whether they're considered hip or not. They just like it because they like it. ELO would be a good example. Yeah. It's like a band that, like, when I was growing up, I would be ashamed to admit that I liked, whereas now, especially in L.A., like, the sort of the, <laughs> the height of cool. But in terms of Baby, I thought his parents were obviously musical before they died. His foster dad, you know, my idea with him, even though you never really delve into his story, is that he was somehow also in the music industry before he went deaf. And that there's a lot of, like, you know, kind of his old vinyl in the house that he doesn't listen to anymore. The baby does. So I'm sure that he listened to a lot of music growing up. But the key thing that I thought was interesting about him being a musical magpie in terms of, like, listening to lots of different stuff is that he is also literally a magpie in terms of the idea that if baby has been stealing lots of cars since he was like 11 years old what are the things that people leave in cars like sunglasses phones ipods so he basically has this large collection of like music players is like have been like left in people's cars so essentially they're everybody else's music collections it's how ansel knew easy it's not like he sort of bought a Commodore's best of. It's like his, I think, godmother had made him like a compilation and that was one of the songs on it. And it was like, oh, I love this song. You know, he doesn't necessarily know too much about the rest of the discography of that artist. But I like the idea, basically, that Baby is listening to other people's record collections. So when there's that scene in the diner when he's got a pink and glittery iPod in his pocket, that iPod is not his. After his last heist, baby's luck changes and things fall apart. He ditches his car and now he's running from the cops. For this scene, Edgar used the song Hocus Pocus. I, I came to know it because there was this TV show in the UK called The Old Grey Whistle Test, which was like a late night um, live music show. And it has so many like amazing acts on it, like David Bowie, The Ramones, Bruce Springsteen, everybody's been on that show. However, the clip of focus performing Hocus Pocus is just one of those great bits of TV because that instrumental is is so intricate and so, um, you know, amazingly performed and seeing them actually do it live is quite something. It's got a great kind of dramatic structure, but it also it kind of has this amazing stop-start structure of being going fast, 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 then a breakdown. Fast, 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 then another breakdown. And that's a good example of like where I would let the song lead my script writing. So I would start to sort of listen to the track and imagine what the chase was going to be and let the structure of the song dictate what was going to happen next. 
So when it has these breakdowns, it's like, now he's hiding behind a tree. Okay, now the guitar's kicking again, now he's running. Now there's another breakdown. Okay, he's in a department store. He's trying to switch his jacket and his cap. And then that eventually builds into another section where you get the guns in time and the music, but this time it's in time with the guitar riff. So, you know, it's like sort of, it, it becomes a sort of very ambitious sequence. So I just like this idea of like keeping the intensity of the movie going through two different songs, you know? Right. It was seriously the most fun I had at the movies in a really long time. Thank and you. I saw it in Atlanta, too. I made sure to kind of put lots of Atlanta stuff in the movie. Which know? I caught. And also even just the cop cars. In fact, when I saw the Atlanta police charges, I was like, oh, they're pretty badass. Because <laughs> they're like navy blue with these big red stripes. You know, Atlanta is still in Muscle Car Central. And like wherever you go, Challengers, Chargers, Camaros, I have Trans a Camaro. So yeah, that's the, exactly. that's the South in me. Yeah. Like, so yeah. The other thing that I did as well is I wanted to get some musicians into the movie. So that's how like sort of Big Boy and yeah, Killer can, Mike can ended tell, up in the movie. Can you tell me about that? Because a lot some people didn't catch that. I always had an idea to have musicians in the movie. And you've got cameos by Flea, um, Sky Ferrara, John Spencer from John Spencer Blues Explosion is like tops and tails the film because that's the first song that you hear. But he's also in the final scene of the movie. He's a prison guard in the final scene. It's John Spencer. I did, I did not catch that. And he says a line. He says, you got to let it, kid. That's John Spencer. What films and soundtracks inspired you? The first one would be American Graffiti, George Lucas's movie. That soundtrack is like a double album, wall-to-wall rock and roll hits at a time when people weren't using old music in films. The reason that it's a big inspiration on Baby Driver is because all of the songs are happening within the scenes. It's not just laid on top. It's like somebody's playing it in the car or it's on in a diner or it's on the radio. So all of the songs that you hear are all happening in the scenes, and that's really important. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas is something where I saw that when I was, like, 16, and, like, the soundtrack just, like, blew my head off because they sort of moved through the 50s through to the 80s. But there's even that one famous sequence when Ray Liotta's all coked up and paranoid and trying to sort of do lots of errands in one day and has been followed by the police. But in that one sequence, there's six different songs. It's like the Rolling Stones and the Who and George Harrison and Harry Nilsson and Muddy Waters. In that way, rather than just pick one song, you get a sense of how crazy the day is. But also, like, if you're driving along in the car, you're not going to listen to one song. You're going to hear, like, six different songs. Another one that's also interesting is 2001 A Space Odyssey because that's all classical tracks. But... The original idea was that they were going to have a score to that movie. And uh, before the composer did the score, Stanley Kubrick picked different bits of classical music in the edit just to temp it, like a temp score. But they, when they listened to the score, they sat there and they said, you know what, I kind of like the stuff we were using before. So that's one of the sort of first soundtracks where they're doing needle drops. It's literally like a kind of like classical greatest hits. Did you name Baby Driver after the Simon and Garfunkel song? I did. I mean, I'd already had the idea for the movie, but I think I heard that song again, and I thought, oh, that's what the title of the movie should be, because I, I always wanted it to be about a young driver. And then I knew that song from when I was a little kid because my parents had that album, and I always used to really like that song, and I never used to really <laughs> kind of understand exactly what the lyrics were, were about. But uh, I, 
I I always thought it would be a cool title. Uh, later, I found out that Kiss have a song called Baby Driver as well, a completely different song. And so, because people get asked me, said, oh, is it based on the Kiss song? And I was like, uh, no. And then eventually I listened to the Kiss song, which... Does it relate any? Uh, well, you know what? If I did a sequel, I could probably use the Kiss song in there. People are ah. saying, I can't believe you made a film called Baby Driver and didn't use the Kiss song. It's like, well, maybe next time. Will we see Baby again? I'm not against the idea because I love the world. You know, to me, like, the idea of making, like, an action film and a romance that's all set to music is, like, like a dream movie for me. We'd like to thank Edgar Wright for coming through and just gracing us with his presence and infinite music and pop culture knowledge today for Showstopper. Thanks so much for coming through. We appreciate it. Thank you. To hear the music that inspires Edgar, check out his takeover of the Film and TV Favorites playlist. He is curating his all-time favorite movie soundtracks like American Graffiti, Goodfellas, 2001, and more, right here, only on Spotify. Showstopper is produced by Spotify Studios in collaboration with Slate Studios, with production by Fanny Co. Our producers are Fanny Cohen and Morgan Hecht. Special thanks to Natalie Tulla, Leah Campbell, Sharon Wong, and Michelle Siegel. Our theme song is produced by my homie, Prince Maestro. From Spotify, I'm Xavier Jernigan. Keep listening. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by the Army National Guard. Discover how you can make a difference in your community and country by visiting GoArmy.com slash ArmyGuard and discover more episodes of Showstopper only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to Showstopper.